Um, so don't listen to what anyone says about environmental impact and so on. Like there was a tweet the other day where someone was offered a million dollars or something to make NFTs and they turned it down because it's like, oh, it's too much in my conscience. It's like, well, <laughs> that money's just going to go to someone else who probably doesn't care about the environment, right? And then the whole talk about like, oh, you're minting something and you're creating this much emissions or so on. It's not a direct thing that happens regardless of you doing the transaction or not. There's so much misinformation or like nuance to it that it doesn't really get communicated very well and so people are like oh nfts are evil we shouldn't touch them even then there are ways to create them without doing any of that all right what's up everybody i am justin murphy and this is the other life podcast the coolest podcast in the world about philosophy technology and internet culture so this week's episode is with Cryptopathic. He's a young man. He's only in his early 20s, but he's a well-known crypto trader who got very wealthy trading crypto starting at the late age of 15 years old. He famously called the Bitcoin top in 2017, and so he's amassed a fairly large following in crypto Twitter. Now, what's less known, though, is that he has pretty deep roots in weird internet meme culture, like he's a observer of frog Twitter and stuff like that. So he's, he's pretty with it. And uh, he's also an Urbit investor, which is not well known at all. So we talked all about these things and we talked about how meme culture informs his trading strategies. We talked about NFTs. We talked all about how artists and intellectuals should think about developing crypto projects. We talked about what he's most bullish on, what he thinks is going to stand the test of time amid all of these crazy hype bubbles that you're seeing right about now. So yeah, this was a really fun one. There are a lot of very interesting little gems here, I think, if you listen closely. Obviously, none of this is financial advice whatsoever, just so we're clear on that. And yeah, go follow Path at Cryptopathic on Twitter. That's where he hangs out for the most part. And if you're watching on YouTube, please take a quick second just to subscribe real quick and then click the little bell to get notifications. A lot of you are still not subscribed or you haven't clicked the bell. So just do that so you don't miss any future shows. And if you're listening to the podcast audio, Please take a second, go and leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you would. All you have to do is go to otherlife.co forward slash review. All right, that's all I got. Thanks for listening, folks, and on to the show. All right, so Path, you are a young man. You're in your early 20s. You're already quite wealthy from crypto trading. You have you know a lot of followers on Twitter, something like 150,000. And I wonder if you could just for our audience, give, give us a quick TLDR on you know, your rise to power, you know, what were the big, what were the big trades? what were the big trades you made that were, you know, really significant? Uh, and also, you know, how that intersected with, you know, the internet clout that ha has come along with that. Just give us the TLDR of, of that story. Okay. So, um, I started trading crypto when I was about 15, um, got into Bitcoin quite early. Uh, I started trading all coins. I made a lot of money on all coins and then I put that into Bitcoin and then I wrote that up and then I've been dabbling with uh, Ethereum and NFTs more recently. I'm very into collectibles and uh, NFTs as of late. And uh, most recently, I made uh, NFT, which is a fractionalized uh, Doge NFT. And that's that's done very well. So I'm sure we'll talk about that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, have a segment on that. It's, it's a very interesting project. But give us a little bit more detail just for people who maybe don't you know, they're not deep in this like crypto Twitter world. Um, like I'm sure there were kind of momentous moments in your, in your, uh, trading history that were particularly crucial. Just tell, unpack it a little bit more. Okay. Um, so, uh, I started trading with about a hundred dollars or so. And, um, I traded that up to, I think a few thousand end of 2013 and I lost most of that. So most people, when they start trading is, um, <laughs> they'll, they'll have huge mistakes and they'll learn from that because, uh, I think the best way is probably like you learn from your own mistakes then you like you really learn 
um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of risk involved in crypto. So, you know, you have the huge risk and reward there. Um, but that's why that's why it like drew me into it so much. It's like I, why do I need to get a normal job when I can just do this? So in my like high school years, I was very focused on trading. Um, didn't get very good grades because of it. <laughs> and yeah, so I uh, there was one coin called Vericoin back in 2014, and I traded that. I made uh, more than 100x on it. What was it called? And then Bitcoin, Vericoin, V E R I. Okay. Um, it was just a random, <laughs> just a random shitcoin, or was there anything to it? Yeah, yeah. So, well, uh, my my idea at the time it was like, well, the developers are quite interesting. They had sort of novel ideas, but they they weren't technically that impressive. It was it was mostly just marketing. But like back then, you had things like like Dogecoin existed back then, right? So there were a lot of coins back then that didn't do anything, and they still did really well because they had like a picture of a cat or something on them. So you know, the the, <laughs> the bar wasn't very uh, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't much to qualify you for a, like a good investment. So I found like a good team. I bought into that quite early on, and then they they did very well. Very quick, did very well. Um, made hundred X on that and sold it. And like, yeah. So that that was what I was aiming for, and I managed to get it quite early on. And then I kept all that in Bitcoin for quite a while, and then Bitcoin eventually took off as well. So then that was another hundred X or so. Um, and then from there, I've been more sane with my risk management um, and more diversified, but yeah, kept going, kept trading in crypto. Okay, cool. And what were you gaining a following on the internet at the same time? Was it just were, yes. and so what were you doing exactly? Is it just- Yeah, so I was tweeting about all these trades as it was going along, yeah, um, on uh, crypto Twitter, which itself has grown massively. Um, so um, yeah, just, I, I've, I've gained a following over the years tweeting about all sorts of trades and ideas I have about the markets and so on. Um, I've got some quite famous charts out there. Like I called the top on Bitcoin back in at the end of 2017, very accurately. Um, I laid out my ideas about why and so on. And then that's called the curse chart. And <laughs> a lot of people know me for that. Uh, and um, yeah, so I've got quite a good hold on the market and people I think respect me for that. So I kind of have like a cult following almost at this point. It's kind of scary. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right, thanks for that. Giving us the TLDR there. Yeah, you're you're something of a legend in crypto Twitter, and I just wanted my audience uh, to get a, a good sense of that. So, I was actually very pleasantly surprised to learn that you're a longtime listener of the podcast, which is really cool. And I learned a little bit more from you that actually you're kind of an OG of kind of weird Twitter and meme culture and and uh, and frog Twitter and all of that. So, I want to talk a little bit about that because. We have some kind of interesting cultural uh, overlap that that people might be surprised to learn about. So let's start with this. Do you think there are any interesting parallels between meme culture and frog Twitter and those kinds of internet subcultures and crypto? Might you even say that meme culture taught you some things that you carried over into your trading strategies? Well, I think they're definitely very counterculture in a way. Um, they they go against what's generally accepted. That that seems to be the main difference. And um, yeah, I'm just I'm very interested in following stuff like that. I just enjoy it a lot. Um, but yeah, so they they never really uh, went. They never really crossed over in the past, which I found quite interesting. Like I did try to teach people from that part about Bitcoin, but no one really wanted to listen uh, years ago. 
It's um, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's odd because um, it seems to to sort of fit in like ideologically. It's like you get your own money; it can't be censored by anyone. Um, especially when it comes to like social media platforms that can't be censored. Right? Like everyone has gone over to Gab, but it's like, well, these things already exist in the crypto space, and you can use them. And it's not there's no essential point of failure or whatever. But nobody seems to, yeah, it's odd. But then you have stuff like Herbert now, so people are catching onto that. Like you're a big you're pushing that as well. That's cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk. I want to talk about Urbit because I know that it's something you're interested in. I think we'll do a whole little segment on that in a little bit. But when you were trying to talk to the other frog Twitter people like Kantbot or whatever <laughs> about, about, uh, about crypto, you know, why do you think people like him and that world are surprisingly so anti-crypto? Um, there's some, I think, moral pushback against it. Like they see it as, um, it's, uh, it's very like capitalist or like people just like profit seeking really. And it's not, it's not sincere. Maybe like you could view it that way. Um, there's some people don't like the environmental implications of it, which is a debate in itself. It goes on forever. Um, yeah, there's a lot. Uh, And also a lot of people just don't understand it. It's, yeah. Yeah. That's part of it for sure. I kind of sometimes get the vibe that some of those people in frog Twitter just kind of hate anyone who's kind of successful. And <laughs> like, it's like, um, <laughs> y- you know, it's like anyone who's like making money, doing something new and interesting is kind of seen as like, uh, they're, they're put in the category of like the alpha Chad guy at high school who like beat them up and, <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. That, that's like one kind of folk theory, but it is kind of interesting because some people from that world, have kind of pivoted into crypto, which is, which is yeah. also kind of interesting. Uh, you told me some interesting stories about, um, like, what do you know about that? Like, you, you told me some interesting stories of some people. Um, how would you, how would you explain, uh, or give us give us a, give us a sense of what you know about those people who have moved from frog Twitter meme culture into crypto? So I, I know Sam Hyde sort of uh, swapped over. Uh, well, he he started trading crypto a while ago, but like, he's if he sees the money, he's happy to go and get it. Right? He doesn't really have any. Um, there's no barriers in his mind to like going and getting something like that. If he sees the opportunity, um, a lot of other people, they just don't really want to. Um, there's, yeah, did you tell uh, me he, no, we he have... like, he made money off of like buying Chainlink, was it? And Bitcoin. I think he did really well with Chainlink. It's, yeah, from what I'm aware of. <laughs> he what, Was he really early? Like how early? Do you have a sense? Um, there, there was a video of him talking about it back when it was like $2, I think, like quite cheap. So. <laughs> Yeah, Interesting. I'm sure he's up. But like he he was in because I think he made a parody of Bitcoin back in like way way back like 2013 or something. He was like making fun of it. So obviously he was aware. Most people were aware of Bitcoin back in the early days. So like if you know like Drill the that old Twitter account, right? He made a Bitcoin tweet in 2011 when it was like a dollar, and like I doubt he's made any money off of it. He's like another one of the people who like they're aware of these things, but they they sort of only. Um, they're only aware of it in order to make fun of it and then <laughs> sort of like get likes or something. They're not interested in actually using it for their own benefit, like monetarily or any other way. It's, it's yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting in per- in particular because it's the the crypto economy is so mimetic. It's it it it, it traffics in memes and the the logic of mimetic contagion is really important in especially kind of trading altcoins and that, and that kind of thing. Um, so you, you would expect there to be more, uh, you know, overlap or more people moving from that world into crypto. But uh, yeah, there's also, there are some, there are some, I think there, there are probably some more. I'll there's have to maybe search NFTs. out some, some. 
with NFTs, yeah. you think that's kind of a game changer? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can you think of examples or? Oh, okay. So, um, <laughs> well, Sam Heidegger, he made, he made one um, of their shoot. I mean, he made that into an NFT, but then he, he sort of made it into performance art because he only tweeted it out. He only put it on his Instagram story. And then since then, he, he hasn't talked about it. So there's no way to actually verify it's his unless you saw it at the time. So it's like, <laughs> it's sort of just lost. Um, but yeah, like, uh, what examples? Um, yeah, memes in general, like you can now monetize these things if you have like social power on the internet before, like maybe you wouldn't be able to get anything off of it. But like, um, so like the person who took the picture of Doge, like they've made millions now. Um, guy who made Trollface, he sold his for a stupid amount of money. Uh, Matt Fury sells Pepe, like he's made millions of it as well. So now all these people are sort of like getting the recognition they deserve, I think. And like in, and the, the money that comes with that, yeah. So as someone who pays close attention to the space, uh, how do you think about how, how do you think creators should think about crypto as, as an opportunity? Because I think one of the reasons why a lot of people uh, who are deep in internet culture and maybe even quite prolific, quite admired, have 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 uh, really interesting projects and have loyal fan bases, but they're not crypto savvy. They kind of just look at the whole thing as like, oh, okay, interesting, seems like a great opportunity. But I don't know, as someone who's not in crypto, I don't know how to get started or I don't know what kind of project would make sense for me. Um, and as someone, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm pretty deep into crypto for some time now, at least like intellectually and, and, and socially. And I'm, I'm pretty with it. Uh, not like super early or anything, but I'm, I understand a lot. I'm fairly technical and, uh, but I'm not like deep into it. So I can kind of uh, understand uh, both sides. And I think even for me, I'm still kind of finding my footing in terms of like as as a serious long term uh, intellectual or creator, whatever you want to call it. I'm still I'm still sussing out like what really is the 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 pattern or patterns that will solidify for uh, creators to use these technologies authentically and meaningfully and build real long term value. It's it's very confusing and hard to think that through. So I would love to hear any of your intuitions or impressions on how you think creators should. Uh, look at crypto, especially if they're kind of coming from outside of it, but want to genuinely start building. Um, so don't listen to what anyone says about uh, like environmental impact and so on. Like there was a tweet the other day where someone was offered a million dollars or something to make NFTs and they turned it down because it's like, oh, it's too much in my conscience. It's like, <laughs> that money's just going to go to someone else who probably doesn't care about the environment, right? And then the whole talk about like, oh, you're minting something and you're creating this much emissions or so on. It's not a direct thing that happens regardless of you uh, doing the transaction. Um, so there's a lot, <laughs> there's so much uh, misinformation or like nuance to it that it doesn't really get communicated very well. And so people are like, oh, NFTs are real. We shouldn't touch them. Um, and then even then there are ways to create them without doing any of that. If you want, like you can audit completely. You can go on a Tezos, which is another blockchain um, that has very low emissions comparatively. Um, or you could just wait. So eventually Ethereum will go proof of stake and then that will like reduce by like two or three magnitudes. Um, and then, yeah. So like if you're artistic, getting into NFTs is a great, it's a great way to, it's an alternative way to like, so at the moment uh, online creators, they sort of have like a Patreon model or they'll make money for ads. Whereas this is like an alternative where you could sell things as if um, they're like paintings in the real world, right? And they could be valued that way. And if you trade it on secondary uh, and you can get value from, um, you can get revenue from if they're sold on the secondary market as well, which is something that that never happens with like physical objects. So that's a great opportunity. Um, 
Yeah. So basically, you're saying be don't be scrupulous about yes. ethics and uh, just, just like <laughs> just fuck around, make stuff, mint it, sell it, see yeah. what happens. Basically, yeah. you think people should have less people should have less kind of compunction and uh, scrupulosity when it comes to thinking that yeah. through. And then also same thing with the environment, like that's fud. Don't worry about it. It's basically what you're saying. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I definitely that, that resonates with me because I I I actually do feel some hesitation. Like I, it's it's such a it's such a hype, right? And you if you're like doing serious long term work, you don't want to be like a hype chaser. You know, you don't want to just be like um, jumping on things because because they're they're hype. And and so like I haven't done any NFT project release or any, any kind of significant effort to like do that. And it's if I'm being honest, that it's really the psychology is like. I don't want to just be, I don't want to come off like I'm just like chasing money or like I'm uh, just following a trend, hopping on a bandwagon. Um, but maybe according to you, I'm just, I'm overthinking it and I should just be minting stuff uh, and seeing, seeing what happens. Yeah. Move fast and break things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good attitude. Thanks for that. Um, okay. So um, what, let's talk about what else you're interested in with respect to kind of the crypto economy. Um, what, what are your big kind of theses on the market at the moment. I think, I think you're quite an ETH bull. Is that right? Yes. Are, are you yeah. uh, kind of, are you overweight ETH uh, or what? Uh, yeah. So primarily like ETH is, um, I'm sort of denominating my portfolio in that I want to outperform ETH. So I want to accumulate more ETH in a way I'm trading against that. I'm not too interested in the ETH competitors really. Um, a lot of people are worried about ETH being quite slow, but like that's not a problem the ETH ecosystem has compared to like Bitcoin. Cause I was a very much like, I was very Bitcoin focused, even when ETH blew up in like 2017. Um, it was like, well, there's all these problems with it. Like Bitcoin can still catch up. It, that people are getting ahead of themselves. And then like it did come back down. But then like a couple of years ago, I put out another chart saying like, well, I want to get heavy into ETH because what's happened is Bitcoin, it's moved too slowly with the smart contracts with layer two, with like adoption of that stuff. No one's using it to do anything interesting, right? All the interesting stuff is on ETH, all the DeFi, all the NFTs, everything. Um, like Bitcoin, it's not really moving anywhere and it's very difficult to make it change, which like, it's, it's a good thing in some ways because it makes it, um, it, it means it's, it's stronger to like attacks from like Bcash or any other outside influence. Right. But then it's a bad thing because it doesn't adapt. No one uses it for new things. Like it's very, um, it can get outdated very quickly. And you can see that like the market thinks that because the price of Ethereum against Bitcoin has gone up so much. Um, but then with Ethereum, like they are. Even though the scaling, it's it's happening. Um, some people aren't too happy with the speed it's happening at, but like I think what's more important is it has um, the fee revenue, right? So people are actually burning fee, they're burning ETH, right? They're paying fees to use ETH, which is what matters, right? Because that's where the actual um, like the supply and demand. If you want a high price of something to be like sustained, then you need that, and like ETH actually has that. Whereas all these other competitors, they don't have people paying to use a trend. Like a lot of them, um, so like Te Tezos, this was my big critique of Tezos. Like it's great for artists because it's so cheap to use. Um, but the only reason people are using that chain is because they can't afford to use ETH, which isn't a very strong case like business wise, because it, it's just like people are free riding on it. That's the reason it's popular. Um, and that's sort of the case for a lot of other chains. Like it, it doesn't matter that they have this technology that's a bit ahead of ETH because like ETH will eventually catch up in that regard, I think. Um, and like the, the people who are like most of the community, most of the users are on ETH and they'll stay there. Uh, and I'm, yeah, I'm confident tech wise it will catch up. So 
I'm not too worried about the competitors. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you're not worried about the the competitor uh, layer ones. What about in some of the newer projects like uh, Andre Kranji's uh, Phantom, for instance, which I, I think has the Ethereum virtual machine? Uh, do you think that is interesting or? So things that use things that use EVM, like they're borrowing a lot of these code. Um, I think that really just strengthens ETH as like saying like how powerful it is. Yeah, it's not. So it's, that's just bullish yeah. for ETH. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and I, I guess I, I think I'm hearing that the, you think the, um, the EIP 1559 is, is, is key here. Like you think the, the, this, this, yeah, it's the, yeah, this yeah, new. Yeah. I think what like technologically it's not that it's just a feed thing. Right. But in terms of like the price, it's great because now you don't have all these miners dumped on you and you have, um, yeah, you, you have like an ecosystem that like it can support itself just burning the fees now. So there's supply reduction with, uh, it balances out the inflation finally. So yeah, it's great. I've heard the argument that if EIP 1559 is almost too good and makes people cling a little bit too much to ETH, does that possibly have the effect of decreasing activity and, you know, all of, all of this burgeoning, you know, and NFT transactions and, and that kind of thing, are, are, does that possibly go down if people start hoarding ETH too much? Well, I think the price will go up as a result of it, right? That's part of my thesis, so that's fine. But um, I don't think it would, I, I think the scaling solutions, like they'll arrive in time for it to not be too much of a problem. Like people use LTs anyway, like Matic and so on, they're all built on ETH. So yeah, I, I don't think it's like, yeah, on, on the chain itself, it might be quite expensive, but like it's supposed to be like that on the base layer, right? It's the same with Bitcoin. I know I really want to spend Bitcoin because they think it will go up forever, like, but that's not really a problem for it. Gotcha. So, so you think basically the price of ETH will go up, it will become more store of value, and there will just be side chains that do all of the transacting. So you'll mint your NFTs and buy and sell your different things in some other token. Do you have a hunch as to w which of those you think is the winner is the kind of the winning sidechain? Um, so Arbitrum just launched and it's very early days for that. But like, I think as, as people build on that, we'll see. And then you have, a, I think it's Optimism. Is it Optimism? I can't remember. <laughs> you have more stuff coming. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Okay, cool. Um, maybe we'll talk just a little bit more about um, NFTs. I'm kind of curious how you see that that playing out in, in in the long run. I know you've thought a lot about it and you have your own uh, project where you are, you basically fractionalized the original Shiba Inu meme, the, the original Doge, basically the person who had, the person who owned the original Doge, uh, an NFT was made out of that. You bought it for some ridiculous sum of money and then you fractionalized it so people could basically buy shares of the verified original Doge. Uh, th this is the NFT NFD token, not to be mistaken with, with NFTs. This is NFD. And um, so tell us- Not a fungible dog. Yeah, not fungible dog, right? So um, tell us a little bit about how you, like what what are kind of the, the larger um, ideas or hypotheses that that are kind of embedded in that, that led you to to do this? Clearly there's some kind of wager or hypothesis in, the, in this um, about NFTs, about the future of NFTs, about what's worth uh, doing and what's worth not, what's not really worth doing. Um, talk about that a little bit. So, um, yeah, even before COVID, like my, my thesis was like, well, people are spending all their time online now. So it makes sense that digital assets and collectibles, they should see a huge growth in value. Like it, it made, it was baffling to me that they weren't really worth anything. And then 
I was more focused on uh, CSGO skins at the time because I think at the time that was the most liquid market for like online collectibles. Um, so I, I got I got into that and I sort of did research into that. I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And then I um, I got more into NFTs. So Urbit was the first one I bought back in 2019. Um, and it, it just seems like it makes so much sense that these things like they're, they're going to have value in the future because of how like Web3 is evolving and how people are spending their time and how it's moving into like everyday life. I think like when we have, um, so like AR, I, I think like AR glasses is probably the next step that like, um, so I know Facebook is doing something already with like camera glasses, but like I think Google, Google Glass will come back at some point in the next 10 years and like that AR will become a huge part of life and then NFTs will play a role in that as well. Right? You'll have this like whole metaverse that's definitely coming. So my idea was like, well, I want to, sort of be as early as possible for things that might be present in that. So I started looking into like digital collectibles and, and then NFTs. Um, and then, yeah, when COVID happened, it sort of like proved my point, like loads of money flowed into collectibles. So it's like, well, <laughs> this is great. Then like the market sees what I do. So I, I sort of, I started spending more and more time on that. Um, and now you have all these like generative projects and stuff popping up and that, I think the bubble at the moment is mostly in the generative projects. I think you, you said the same thing in a blog post recently. Um, so yeah, you have all these things being created that are, they're generated using like a hash function or something. And they're like, they're, they're quite, they're very cool, but they're, they're very overvalued, I think. Um, cause like they'll, they'll be increasing complexities of like generative art over time. Um, and there, there's so much for it to come, but, that people are people are they're valuing the earlier ones very very highly. Um, I've done quite well trading some of them. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think back to NFT. So <laughs> NFT. Um, this was <laughs> lost where I was there. Um, so I bought uh, this uh, NFT of the the dog. So um, the the owner uh, Atsuko Sato. She did an auction on Zora in June for eight of the pictures she took uh, back in 2010 or something. Um, and the original one sold for like $4 million. And then there was a collection of seven others. Uh, and I bought one for $40,000, which is significantly less. Um, and then um, I was talking to Trunks. So I'm with this project called Crypto Trunks at the time, and they, they also bought one. Um, and then eventually I partnered with them, and I, I fractionalized their dog into into shares so it's like my my thinking was um nfts are like blowing up at the time um i was right in my conviction that these things would be worth a lot of money so how do i capitalize most on this and also create something that's really interesting sort of like as an economic experiment because um like the nfts themselves weren't valued crazily like uh that there weren't there wasn't much attention towards them but then you have things like dogecoin and the market caps like 40 billion dollars but like really like socially what is the difference between the two right dogecoin it's sort of like it's very much just a meme people trade it for fun it doesn't like technologically it's not impressive at all it's just it's just a meme like entirely so the difference between that and the value of the nft i bought was it's magnitude so it's like well why don't i turn this into a coin itself and then create a community around that and then yeah so it blew up um and then that went to, I think that the highest valuation was like a hundred million dollars at the top, um, which is incredible. 
Uh, and then the people who bought the the original Doji image, there's, a, there's also fractionalized theirs now. That's worth about 200 million at the time. Uh, so yeah, people are sort of experimenting with that. And we're really seeing like how, um, so when you fractionalize something, it sort of changes how liquidity works for the artwork because when you sell artwork normally, you're selling the entire thing. But now because you're selling pieces of it, it's, um, it's interesting to see uh, like it, it can sort of inflate the value because some people they'll they'll hold on to it beyond like if they owned the whole thing they'd sell it for that price but then if they only own a part of it there's sort of like a maybe like from their risk management side they're like oh, I don't really need to rebalance or sell it I don't need the money because they don't own the whole thing they only own a small part of it and then everyone does that so they'll hold it for a high price and they would do normally so you have insane valuations on these pieces which is yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting to see how people behave when they own a piece of these things instead of the whole thing. Um, and then, so what I've done recently is um, I'm dropping to all of the holders of the the fractional pieces. I'm dropping them another token, um, and this uh, the the largest holder in it is Atsuko Sato, the the owner of the the dog. Um, so. My thinking is, um, I've made it really well distributed, so there are no like whales. Like, if you have loads of coins in the existing ones, like myself, then um, you don't get a huge stake in it. It's very small, so it's very well distributed between like all of the holders, um, except for Atsuko. Um, she has like two or three percent, um, so you can go and claim this if you owned it. And it's sort of like a derivation of the current community. Like you have, um, you have this provenance because the tokens are connected to. The original images but realistically i don't think either of those will ever be unfractionalized because in order to do that you'd have to pay the buyout price which is like a ridiculous amount because all the people who own it are like oh i'd only sell it for this amount right if they had to so the buyout prices are so high these images will probably never be unfractionalized so my thinking is like well if i there's, there's been a big like debate between like community um the other the other party that fractionalized theirs so please are down they um they don't have as many holders as me despite having the bigger coin and like there's a lot of VCs and so there's a lot of talk about like well VCs against like actual community. Um NFT has a more more active community. So I'm like, well if I can like bridge these two together. So I've dropped everyone a token. Um it's fairly distributed. It's signed by the person who I think deserves the money the most, like the largest holder. Like it makes sense to me. Um she should have it. So yeah, and now the community has they they're all getting that for free. Um, and they're like, well, if, if they want to build things together, then they can go and use that and it should benefit people more fairly, I think. And like, even though it's not directly backed by the NFT itself, I don't think the original tokens, I, I, I want to see how much people care about that, right? If that makes sense, right? If it's benefiting her, because the other ones aren't, they're, benef they're benefiting me who, got, who bought the NFT quite cheap and they're benefiting the VCs who bought the other one, right? Whereas like this one, it, it will benefit her directly. And also the community more equally because people have an equal share. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Okay, interesting. I, I feel like what I'm hearing from your worldview generally is, it sounds like you're you're bearish on things that are disconnected from reality and programmatic, and you're more bullish on things that are linked to individual people, linked to real world historical events. It, it, it sounds like. Because you were saying that you think the, the generative art is uh, maybe overvalued and that's going to eventually all kind of uh, wash out as as a kind of uh, uh, generic commodity, whereas it seems like you think 
stuff that real people are making or doing that has flesh and blood involved, uh, kind of focusing on that and seizing that is where the real long-term value is in the NFT world. Is that broadly your thesis? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think generative stuff, it will saturate. The earlier stuff should be worth more just because it's like early 20s. It's like, yeah. it makes sense for this stuff, yeah. Okay, yeah, fascinating. Like, there's there's so many generative projects. It's crazy. <laughs> there's, yeah. There, there, are some, there are some generative ones that will still do all that, like if they're linked to, um, like if they do something novel or like if they look cool. Uh, back to like Frog Twitter, I think someone from Frog Twitter made something called Miladies. Have you heard of that? Oh, really? No. And, um, I didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't even know when I bought it, and then it turns out it was uh, Mia Blackheart or something. Is that I can't remember the account exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh, so, really? Okay, interesting. Wait, yeah, I, I, I'm gonna look into that. That, that's an interesting lead. I, I, I didn't know anything about that. All right, fascinating. So, all right, all right. How do you think about the laws around unregistered securities? Do you, is this something you're just like, <laughs> is, is, is this just like, you don't worry about it? Uh, no one should really care too much about that. Um, or are you, do you look at that critically and, and you, you do your projects, um, with, with sensitivity towards that? Like, uh, because so for people listening who, may, who might not know, I mean, um, the sec has signaled here and there, maybe they, um, are not crazy about people, uh, selling things in crypto land that could arguably be. Uh, called unregistered securities. Of course, it's illegal to sell unregistered securities. And some some different types of assets and projects in crypto space arguably could 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 be uh, alleged to be uh, unregistered securities selling. Uh, so I know some people who are quite worried about that, like they don't want to do these different types of crypto experiments, or they're they're very cautious about it because they think there's a non-trivial risk, like you know the the, the man could could crack down on that uh, in, in some kind of aggressive way. And, and then there are some people who seem like completely unfazed by that. And they're just like, crypto is this new thing. You should just, uh, have fun, try different things. It's, it's, and, and a lot of people in that camp are kind of more, their, their reasoning is often, this is so big. Now the cat's out of the bag. There's no way law enforcement is going to be able to like go and prosecute like everyone who's selling tokens. And, and it's kind of the ship has sailed I, and not to worry about that kind of thing. How do you think about that question? Um, so yeah, so recently, like, there's been some SEC crackdown on DeFi protocols, um, which is kind of insane because it's like uh, the the main one is Uniswap. They're going after the Uniswap team, I think, because uh, they that's the the main Dex decentralized exchange that people use, um, and so they're they're trying to regulate the team, but like the code's already out there, and then there's plenty of other copies of it, and it's like the, it doesn't. I don't really understand what the the aim is, right? Because like they can stop further development of it, but the, this thing can never. It's on Ethereum forever, right? They'd have to, they'd have to like close off on ramp. They'd have to kill the entire industry if they actually wanted to regulate it, right? So I think, um, yeah, and that there's so many people in it as well. Like the actual the amount of resources they need to go after every single person is it's mind boggling. It's like it's impossible, really. Um, yeah, so I, I think especially like if you're smaller, like in terms of capital as well, like there's nothing to worry about. It's not at all. Um, when it came to, so NFD can be considered for security. Um, <laughs> so I had to talk to a lawyer about that, but, um, yeah, I don't, I'm not really worried about it too much. Okay. So interesting. Um, so you did consider this and you, you even went as far as talking to a lawyer and what was the outcome of that discussion with the lawyer? How do you, how do you see the NFD, uh, project? If you acknowledge that one could arguably allegedly um, so, call it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I fractionalize it through a site called Fractional.art. Um, and like, I think most of the liability goes on to them because they like they offer the service of fractionalizing things and they offer to to people. Um, and then, like, because I'm not even an American, I'm not, I'm, I'm from the UK myself. So, like, I, I don't know anything about US securities laws. It's like, well, do they expect every single person in the world to, to take account? like another country's laws like <laughs> that's yeah it's interesting like i don't think it's possible for him to go after everyone um it seems that like the overreach there would be incredible um so yeah I'm, i don't think especially early on i don't think people should worry about it it's yeah okay yeah i i appreciate that perspective uh i mean i because I, I have been thinking a lot about it and, and paying close attention to it and it, it does seem to me i mean my personal view is that uh, a project such as NFD, where you're uh, fractionalizing an asset and people can buy uh, basically a share in something, it's not a share in, uh, it's not an unregistered security because it has uh, either governance purpose or a uh, kind of utility purpose. Th that's kind of my understanding is that if if it has governance or utility, then it's not an investment asset. It's something that you buy for uh, intrinsic reasons. And sure, it may or may not appreciate in value over time. And maybe that's maybe that's something that people are uh, potentially interested in. But if you're not if you're not like promising people it's going to appreciate over time, then I think it's not selling an unregistered security. Yeah, I've been very careful about like being realistic with people. But um, when I talked to the lawyer, what I well, yeah, what he said was um, like if you're so people. They fractionalized real world collectibles in the past as well online. I can't remember the site he talked about, but like um, basically, it was ruled that like if you're buying a fraction of a collectible, generally the only reason you would do that is as an investment. So I think that that's the argument they use. But like, there's there's a lot more nuance when it comes to digital things because there's so much more you can do with the fractions, right? Like, yeah, there's yeah. Right, right. So this historical practice of fractionalizing collectibles, which is not new to crypto. So you're saying that that was never considered an unregistered security? No, that that is considered a security. Oh, yeah. it is. It because, is. So people, so people who do that are registered yeah. are registered securities dealers, basically. Yeah, yeah, they have to be. Yeah. And so, sorry, just uh, not not to uh, harp on this too long, but I, I do. I'm just very interested in um, since you talked with a lawyer, I, I want to get the the details. So, so why why then why then is uh, fractionalizing an NFT different? Um. Well, this is the thing. It's not. It's not being specifically ruled. Um, like in the, in the UK, it's fine. It's not considered security or anything. Uh, in the US, it's. But yeah, as I said, like it, it, people, the only reason it would be considered you'd invest, you'd buy a fraction of a collectible is because you want it to be an investment. So, yeah. So the the fractionalized NFTs should be considered collectibles in his mind. When I talked to him. Um, but like, yeah, you can do other things, right? So you can use, a, say you own a stake. Something I do is um, if you own 10 million of the NFT, then you get into a Discord. This is like a little fun chat room, right? Yeah. So you can do things like that with it. Um, Which gives it utility. And utility. Then, and then it's not uh, an investment asset. It's just a, a token that gets you something that's that you want. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Interesting. That that was that was very illuminating. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about Urbit. You mentioned Urbit a couple times, which which was interesting to me. I didn't necessarily know that you uh, had anything to do with Urbit or that you were interested in Urbit. So uh, as as you alluded to, it's something I've become more bullish on. I'm quite interested in the project. I think it's it's uh, 
a lot of people are sleeping on it and it's, it's still quite undervalued. How do you think about the appeal of Urbit? How do you think about, um, the, you know, uh, what, what in your perspective is the bulk case for Urbit? Um, right. So I've, I've owned it for a couple of years and in terms of NFTs, it's done very badly in terms of performance. Um, the development's pretty slow, but it's very interesting. So there aren't really any other NFTs out there that are doing the same thing. Like it, it's definitely like in some world. I think it's very ahead of the curve in the fact that like you have you have like your own ID that you're owning, gives you access to this network. Um, I'm a little worried about the topology of the network. Like you have, there's only 256 galaxies, and like that sort of limits how decentralized it can be. I think so. I'm not sure if they'll change that at any point, but having like scarcity of ideas, that's a that's a great idea to. Like it's sort of funds. Well, I, I imagine, I imagine they um, it's a secure network, but also like it's how they raise funding back in. I think it was 2017. Um, it was like, well, we have scarce IDs, so people buy, like, they they buy portions of that, and then that's how, uh, yeah, that's how they raise capital. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so it, it's a great idea. Like, uh, you talk about like sovereignty and having your own like nations, like your own state in the sky or <laughs> all that stuff. Um, it's, it's very free. It's very free having like owning all this infrastructure um, and your own ID and your own network and everything. It's, it's this ideal that a lot of people are after, but they're just not aware of it. It's yeah, it's kind of painful. Uh, I'm surprised it's not more popular. It's really taking a while to catch on, but I think people get there sooner than later. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, that, that's kind of how I see it too. Um, I'm curious, like for people out there listening, they might be wondering if they should start like trading altcoins to, uh, you know, make a lot of money in their early 20s. And um, I, I'm a little curious on your perspective on how kind of the crypto economy has changed. You know, do you, it seems like a lot of the energy has moved away from, uh, you know, looking for the the next 100x altcoin, uh, speculating on like the next big NFT set. Um for for people who are interested in potentially trading or potentially just yeah you, know, you know getting involved in crypto, you know what do you think are the most interesting or exciting opportunities for 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 new people kind of coming into the space? We obviously talked a little bit about NFTs for creators, uh, and I, I agree that that's that's really attractive. Uh, but maybe we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the the trading end of things. Like, do you are you still looking for like the hundred X altcoins? Is that still a game you play? Is that a game other people should find interesting or is that completely over? How do you think about uh, the most kind of interesting asymmetric bets in crypto? Um, so as the market's grown, um, I think it, it does become more difficult for you to, like if you're on exchanges, it's more difficult to find like hundred X's and so on. Um, or like you, it's, it's a lot more liquid now. So um, all of these opportunities are sort of like absorbed by VCs and so on. I am still, trading altcoins, but nowhere near as actively as I used to. Um, so Mina is one I really like at the moment. It uses uh, ZK Snarks. If you know about them, uh, Zcash uses them. It's like, it's for private transactions. And that's something, um, there's a lot of potential in that in the future, right? People, um, <coughs> it's really uh, undervalued, I think, like private, the, the privacy it brings, because it's it's perfect. Like you have things like Monero, people use Monero for um, dark, the dark web and so on, right? But Monero is not uh, perfect, like mathematically. Whereas like zk stocks are, they're completely private. And then there's all sorts of things like so you can use um, you can use them for scaling as well. You can use them for all sorts of private transactions and like yeah, there's there's like a whole it opens up a whole new world 
yeah, in in cryptography, really, you can. There's so many things like we'll discover you can use them for. Um, so one thing on ETH, they've combined them with like NFTs, and um, you can you can create games, and using the zero knowledge proof, you can create aspects of the game that like no one knows, um, and so like there's no way anyone can cheat with the game, right? It's like, uh, <laughs> which like maybe that sounds quite simple, but like it, it's a huge. Um, it's just one use case of it, and like yeah, people are working on that. I think that'll be big at some point. Um, yeah, that's definitely something I'd look into if you knew. Uh, but if you want, so let's say you, you start with like a small amount of money. Um, yeah, a few months ago, I definitely would have said NFTs, like they're the best place. You can flip them very easily. Like there's great risk reward. Um, if something has momentum, you can write it quite easily. Uh, now, like the space is saturated quite a lot. Like there's so many new projects. It's always very dangerous when that happens. So like I wouldn't be buying new generative projects now because like there's... um like the share of the space they have, the attention they get, like it's very small, it's very risky. Um, if you if you have like a small amount of money, I'd go to like other chains. So like um, Ethereum competitors in their ecosystems, that's probably where the best opportunities are. Because um, also like when you're trading on ETH, ETH has huge fees. So if you don't have a lot of capital, it can really eat into that, the fees. And that can be quite damaging. Whereas if you go onto like AVAX or Sol or Tezos, um, there's not huge fees, but people are still they're building on there. Uh, the NFT ecosystem on Tezos is amazing. Um, so like that, I, I think if you want NFT opportunities to like trade, it's it's definitely on there at the moment. Um, yeah, you have like a you've got a larger margin because there's no fees. And yeah. Okay, interesting. And how do you think about the social token phenomenon? These kind of to- tokenized communities. I don't know if you've have noticed recently communities like the friends with benefits community which is blowing up uh that that token value has skyrocketed uh recently and uh you know for people listening this is just basically uh you know creators and kind of community leaders who are launching their own erc20 tokens so so fungible kind of branded fungible tokens uh that are uh, specific to communities and identities and the real value of the token is mostly it gets you access into some kind of club or group or community and and other kinds of benefits uh, that being kind of the main the main purpose and, and function of these tokens do you think that's here to stay is that really interesting and big in the long term is or is that just a fad how do you how, what do you think about this um so these things have been tried so like it was one back in 2014 someone tried exactly the same thing um it's not particularly a new idea but it's it's definitely caught on more like within the ethereum ecosystem because web3 itself is growing so it's very easy to integrate it into things now so i think that's why they're they're becoming more popular um in terms of like investment uh i'm not really sure it's not something i'd go for necessarily but it's definitely it's interesting building a community. So it's something I'm doing with NFT. Like if you own 10 million, then you get into the Discord, and then that could be quite fun. Um, so it does create new demand for these tokens and on top like, of what would normally in be. In the NFT community, like what is that community about? What do they talk about? Docs? <laughs> oh, this, yeah, anything. Let's <laughs> talk about their, whatever yeah. they want. Okay. It yeah. Because yeah. I, I mean, do you sometimes find that the word community is, is somewhat, uh, it's somewhat, somewhat of a euphemism at this point, like people talk about the importance of community and then you look into these like communities and it's like, what <laughs> are, is it really a community or is it just people who are like kind of really hungry and greedy for like more money around some object? Right. It's like, I, I can't, yeah, I, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, all the people. So yeah. If, yeah. If, go ahead. 
<laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, if you go into like most of the the dog coins or something like Shiba Inu, like it would just be people like pumping the price, or like they'll just be posting bullish things all the time. And it's very cult like, very Ponzi scheme, like MLM, like like uh, BitConnect. If you remember that, like very very similar vibes to that. Most of them will be like that because people they just want to make money on their investment and they also want to sort of trick everyone else into holding beyond that. Or yeah. So you have that sometimes, but then. Yeah, you want to see clear of those ones. Uh, and then you'll have like, so the, the one I've built, mostly it's just like people who like my Twitter personality. So they just hang out there. Um, they post memes and whatever. They're quite nice. They're very funny. Um, yeah, and there's not there's not too much uh, price talk. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Right, right. Yeah, so in... in, in- in, in the better cases, it's it's really just kind of like vibing and uh, kind of friends hanging out, basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and people building things as well. So yeah. right, right, right on. Okay, cool, cool. I, I appreciate um, that perspective. All right. Well, I don't want to keep you too long, but I guess I think the the just the final things I might uh, want to pick your brain about just have to do with. Uh, the long-term future, like I'm, I'm just kind of curious how you think all this shakes out in, in the very long term, because there's all this kind of chaos, so many different uh, projects kind of, uh, you know, rising super big really quickly, then then disappearing. And there's just so much experimentation in the, in the space. So I was just kind of curious if you had any other kind of final thoughts on what you're most excited about uh, in the future. Uh, let's start let's start with um, the, the, the space generally, like if anything comes to mind. Uh, and then I might ask you a little bit more about like yourself and your own projects. So, so what about the space in general in the long term? Um, so I think Bitcoin will lose the top spot probably to Ethereum at some point. I think that's very likely. Um, and I, I think Ethereum, it's not it's not guaranteed, but I think Ethereum is most likely going to be the main like smart contract chain people use. Um, and then also, as I said, I think uh, ZK Snarks will see a lot more use. So I'm I'm bullish on Zcash and bullish on Mina. Uh, very interested in those projects, um, and then NFTs definitely here to stay. But if you want, yeah, they, it's more they're more as a benefit to people who create art and things like that, rather than for people like investing in them. It's it's a lot more difficult. Uh, you're more likely to get burned from the demand side. So like if you're buying NFTs, you should treat them like any other collectible, right? You should only buy them if you if you like really like them. They actually mean something to you. Um, and like the ones, the ones like that, those will hold, those will hold the value the best over time or like the, the older ones as well. So like CryptoPunks, that's what's safest if you want to invest in something like that. Right. Okay. Okay. And so I think you alluded to, you think, you think, do you, do you agree with this idea that ETH is going to, uh, flip in Bitcoin? Did you allude to that a moment ago? Yes. Yeah. yeah so you do subscribe to, Absolutely. You subscribe to that thesis. So are you... Are do you, do you think Bitcoin is is here to stay in a non-trivial way, or or do you think yeah 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 I think Bitcoin will definitely stay around. So like because I've been in the space for a long long time, so I was around when the Ethereum ICO happened, and like I decided not to buy it <laughs> because um, people were like, oh, it has all these problems. Oh, Bitcoin will scale, and it will it won't matter. Like we won't need all coins or anything. So I sort of believed that for a while, but then yeah, as over time as like Ethereum's developed and like Bitcoin hasn't gone anywhere, it's like well. Yeah, it's kind of hard to hold that belief still. So I think it makes more sense that Ethereum should be on top because that's what people are really using. Um, Bitcoin will stay around. It doesn't, um, you, you also have the environmental narrative, right? When Ethereum does move to proof of stake, it has this huge advantage, like 
socially over Bitcoin because Bitcoin will still be spending all this electricity on proof of work, but Ethereum won't be using any of that energy. So we'll see how that affects uh, the market and how people treat it as well. Um, yeah. Well, it's been super interesting hearing your perspective. I would love to maybe just know a little bit more about you and what's next for you. I mean, you have a lot of capital. You are a young, a really young guy with your whole life ahead of you. I'm just kind of curious what you're, you know, you don't have to give me some kind of a strong answer. Like I'm, you know, breathing down your neck asking you, what are you going to do with your life? Uh, but I'm just curious, like what's going through your mind as um, the next big place for you? Are you thinking about maybe building a company or maybe, um, uh I don't know, going all in as an influencer and uh, building building your media brand. What most excites you personally uh, for your you know short to medium term future? Um, well, I, I want to keep building with like the NFT community, um, see where that goes. Uh, I'm also working with Crypto Trunks, so they do like carbon negative NFTs, and they're they're doing lots of fun technical stuff. We, I want to see where because uh, NFTs can do so many things. Like that, we've we've barely scratched the surface of what they're capable of, right? So I really want to like expand on that. That's something I'm very interested in. Um, and then, yeah, so capital-wise, I just, I'll, I'll see where my investments go. Uh, I am I am sort of interested. So, so I, I dropped out of university when I was 18. So that's part of me kind of wants to see if, like, learning, like, academic economics, that will give me any new insights onto how things could work and maybe developing that in that sense. So that's something I could do in my future as well. Um, but yeah, so mostly focus on the NFTs for now, I think. Okay, awesome. Very cool. Well, thanks for coming on and uh, thanks for all the free alpha. Thank you very thanks much. Thanks for, for all the free alpha. This is really fun. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You made it all the way to the very end, so you must really like the show. In that case, I would be super grateful if you'd be so kind to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is go to otherlife.co slash review. That's otherlife.co forward slash review. And it'll send you an Apple podcast. Just leave a review. You can be honest. Tell me what you really think. I'd really appreciate it because it'll help other people find the show. And I'm really trying to grow out the podcast. So thanks for listening. And thank you for leaving a review. I really appreciate it.